0: You know those times you come to God and the Bible and everything you wonder is untangled and can instead be tied up in a nice bow? Oh, good. You know that's bogus already. Great. Because today we're looking at part of the Bible that is important, has something to say to us, but is far from tidy. We're in Deuteronomy chapter 3, where in verses 23 to 28, we hear this story. Moses is speaking to the rest of the Israelite community and says at that time too, I entreated the Lord saying, O Lord God, you've only begun to show your servant, your greatness and your might. What God in heaven or on earth can perform deeds and mighty acts like yours. Let me cross over to see the good land beyond the Jordan, that hill country and the Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not heed me. The Lord said to me, enough from you. Never speak to me of this matter again. Go up to the top of Pisgah and look around you to the west, to the north, to the south, and to the east. Look well, for you shall not cross over this Jordan, but charge Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, because it is he who shall cross over at the head of this people and who shall secure their possession of the land that you will see. Now, when we were together live, We stopped here, and each of us spent just a minute noting the things that we wondered from the passage. I wondered what Moses was feeling. I wondered if Joshua felt ready. I wonder if Moses thought Joshua was ready. I wonder what it takes for God to say enough from you, and if Moses was worried about that reaction about other things. And so on. People shared those in some conversation groups as well, And that practice of making wonder statements is something that can be incredibly helpful for us when we are in these untidy parts of the Bible. Sometimes we think what we most need are answers, but perhaps instead, what's most helpful is to wonder. And so we're continuing on in our journey in Deuteronomy. You'll remember that this is a book that tells the people their own story so that they'll remember as they get ready to move into the promised land. It's a story that invites them to be aware of their identity. And most of all, it's a story where God is again, through Moses, saying, trust me, trust me. And so in these particular chapters, two, three, and four, there are some accounts of the battles that have happened in the past so that the people will know that God will fight for them again in the future. And in the midst of that, Moses also tells this story that we just heard, where Moses prays and God says, no. Moses asks and God gives him something else. And where I want us to start together is how Moses in this prayer names his desire. He doesn't stew on it, keep it to himself, withhold it from God, lest God be disappointing in the answer. Moses names it naming our desires to God allows for the possibility for that desire to be reimagined or redirected. There is an unspoken question in the midst of God's response to Moses. Do you want the land or me? The land is a sign of who God is. And it's not just being in the land that shows that. It's the whole journey to get there. That's why the story for the Israelites is not just we entered the promised land. It's God called our father Abraham. Even the simple phrase the people have, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is shorthand for a larger story. The story that God called Abraham, and we see that God leads. God made us family. The story where at the Exodus, God frees. In the wilderness, God cares for with manna and water. And now to the land, God fights for which is what chapters two and three speak to. Later on in Israel's story, when they are exiled in Babylon, these are also the stories that will remind them that God is still there with them. The land is wonderful, yes, but it's the gift. The giver is greater. It's a sign of who God is and what God's done to live there, but it's actually not the be all and all. The relationship with God, known, claimed, cared for, that's more important. God is most of all wanting a relationship where the people trust. And so over and over again, God goes first. God takes action to show that God can be trusted and then God invites. Trust me, not idols. This is the story not only of these beginning books of scripture, but of the whole Bible. A God who goes first and acts on our behalf and the invitation to respond by trusting that God and not any of the many other idols that would be available to us to turn to. And yet, we all have a tendency to feel like, hey, if God wanted me to trust them, the best way to do that would be to answer the prayers how I want. And then in those answers, I would see that God is so trustworthy acting for me. Moses is sorting this out here. Again, apparently. If God has come to the point of saying enough from you, I'll take that as a clue that they've uh, been over this a lot. Moses doesn't get what he wants, but he gets something. He gets to see in, which is presumably more than he would have gotten without asking. The Old Testament scholar John Golden Gay comes to this story and notes that prayer is a negotiation, by which he means that Moses asking does change what God would have done otherwise. And yet, Given that one party in the negotiation is God, there is a reality that it is still God's prerogative to decide what happens based on what God knows is best. Ruth Haley Barton, in her book, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, also explores this story with a slightly different take. And as an aside, I don't think it's a matter of she being right and Golden Gay being wrong or vice versa. It's a yes and, because that's often how scripture works. Barton writes, Perhaps Moses' experience of being called by God, arguing it out, and having God answer each and every objection with the promise of God's presence prepared Moses to say yes more easily to the calling that was before him now. Maybe all of his experiences of discerning and doing the will of God had brought Moses to the place where he knew, down to the bottom of his being, that the will of God was the best thing that could happen to him under any circumstances. It's the presence of God offered to him and the answer of God because it comes from God that perhaps, just maybe, made it all okay somehow. In other words, I wonder if Moses, at the top of that mountain, felt utterly content to be in the presence of God looking down at a future promise, even though he had asked for something different. Now, in an almost opposite way, You hear James's words in a letter to a church community. He says, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. He's observing what happens when we don't really come to prayer and trust, trusting God to answer us rightly, when instead we come to prayer because what we really want is what we want. And This is the hard truth. We can want what we want, or we can want to want God. We don't always want God. We don't always want what God wants, but we can want to want God. And that is part of the practice of prayer. To come back to God saying, I want to want you. And if that's the case, then we, like Moses, would be able to confess who God is and what God's done And name what we want boldly, both to ask for what we want and to open up to the possibility that those desires need to be redirected or reimagined. And when we find that what we want is disappointed, what we get, namely the presence of God, will somehow be enough. And that last part, in my opinion, is hardest Is God, just God, enough? We know that's the right answer. Certain Christian groups talk about that all the time. Jesus is enough for us. But in real life, we often need to kind of put some pressure on that. Try it out and see if it holds. We cite John Golden Gay's work a lot here as we talk about the Old Testament. You may have noticed if you've been around a bit. And he is a great Old Testament scholar, but he is also a full dynamic person. And part of John's story is that his wife, Anne, had MS for nearly all of their 45-year marriage. It's all well and good for some brilliant academic to say that God's purposes are good and God's presence is enough. But actually, he also says it as a husband who prayed for healing and only got it as part of the resurrection. When John Golden Gay reminds us that prayer is a negotiation and that God wants to hear what we want, He says it as someone who's been there. And so if we find that prayer feels untidy and we're not quite sure what to do with the reality that it's a negotiation and yet our desires might be redirected and reimagined, perhaps we can simply know that we're in good company with many people who find they pray anyway because they want to want God. Paul, after all, didn't get what he prayed for. In 2 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 7, he tells a story of how to keep from becoming proud. He was given a thorn in his flesh. He calls it a messenger of Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three times, I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time, he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. We don't know what the thorn was, though people take some good guesses. But here he is over and over again figuring out if Jesus really is enough. Jesus himself didn't actually get what he prayed for either. In the Garden of Gethsemane before his execution, he prays three times, including what we see in Matthew twenty-six thirty-nine: My Father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. The promised land isn't just about the land. It's about life in God's presence. Moses is offered God's presence even without the land. Paul's ministry isn't just about the message. It's about life in God's presence. Paul is offered God's presence even without a changed situation. Jesus' execution even isn't just about defeating sin and death. It is about life in God's presence. Jesus is offered assurance that faithfulness isn't foolishness. It's not suffering for nothing. It's suffering for everything. And so we come back to prayer. Ben Patterson reminds us that prayer is more than a tool for self-expression, a means to get God to give us what we want. It is a means God uses to give us what they want and to teach us what they want. There are two images, perhaps, that can help us think about prayer. The first being a lot like a vending machine where there's all these blessings lined up inside and prayer is how you crack the code. You know, just look up and figure out, okay, D6 there and get my coins all sorted, drop them in just right. And that prayer would be the process that unlocks the blessing. And hey, if it feels a little stuck, just bang on it real hard. (laughs) Or perhaps prayer is more like a comfy chair worn a bit into your shape where you settle in and talk to a friend who's always there. And like a good friend, they listen. Their guidance is wise and their disagreements worth heeding. Unlike a good friend, that guidance or even correction is rooted in being in the best way, better than you. God's love is more loving towards you and others than your best love. God's wisdom is more grand than whatever it is you know. God's power is far more capable than whatever you can do. And so we keep praying, naming desires to a God that we believe we can trust, even if those desires are redirected or reimagined. January 8th is the birthday of my daughters, Kate and Lucy. They were born 10 years ago, too early to survive. And of course, we prayed that they would live. We prayed that doctors would stop whatever was going wrong. We prayed and we did not get what we wanted. And yet, in the midst of grief, as other people who also were comfortable with untidiness joined around us, we found we experienced God with us in a really real way, not in a way that made it okay that we were suffering, but in a way that made us realize that God cared that we were suffering and we weren't alone. What we don't need any more of are people saying that when things don't go how we hoped, we just didn't pray enough. We just didn't have enough faith. I'll say to you on the podcast what I said to our actual community as we were together on Sunday. We need to be done with the bullshit that implies that that is how prayer works. And yet we might find that prayer really does help us realize that God is with us in some very important experiences in our life. That whatever path we walk, we don't walk it alone. And so may the grace and the presence and the compassion of our God be with you. In the name of our triune God, amen.